We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Virginia. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right. Welcome in to another episode of BuzzBeat. Another draft episode of BuzzBeat to be even more specific. It's Brian. I'm joined here by Lee. Richie is helping produce. Spencer, hopefully up to some fun um, Memorial Day weekend plans with the family. Um, I know as soon as this is over with, um, I'm going to try to get outside for the rest of the day. But we're here to talk about the draft. Uh, So far, we've covered... A handful of different prospects, including Johnny Davis, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, we've also touched on Jeremy Sohan, Tari Eason, Keegan Murray. That was last week that, that Lee and I did. And then uh, the week before that with Spencer, we did some of the centers for the draft. So Jalen Duran, Mark Williams, and Walker Kessler. And we also touched on Christian Coloco a little bit in that one. So if you're itching to hear that, uh, make sure to go check those out, and hopefully some of you guys are listening in live on our uh, our Slack channel right now, so shout out to you if you're doing that, but uh, before we jump in, Lee, how are you doing here, man? I'm great. I'm great, BG. Um, good to be here for another draft episode. It's fun, kind of just slowly but surely knocking out these prospects. Got kind of more of a, uh, I would say, a wing bunch today yeah. that we're gonna that we're going to look at, so... Yeah. Like you said, we've done some of the guards. We've done, we've done some of the bigs. It's a, it's a pretty heavy wing class. So it's nice to kind of start to chip away at that, that group a little bit. Um, because I think there'll probably be at least one or two more wing groups that we can hit prior to the draft, which is, I think less than a month away. Is that right? Yeah. Less than a month away at this point. Yeah. Definitely need like at least one more wing one, probably need another pod that that's going to touch on some of the like, you know, combo guards, yeah. uh, you know, scoring guards, attacking guards of, uh, of the draft as well. So I know at some point we've got one plan for Terquavion Smith, Blake Wesley, Ty Ty Washington, guys like that. But that's later down the line. Yep. First things first, uh, we're going to start off with th- we're gonna have three prospects today. EJ Lydell, forward out of, out of Ohio State. 
Then we're going to touch on Dyson Daniels, a wing from Australia who played with the G League Ignite this year. And then to round it out, we'll go with Usman Jang of, uh, from France who played uh, in the NBL this season uh, with the New Zealand Breakers. But yeah, let's just let's get going and let's start a little bit with the athletic profile for Lydell who just came off a monster uh, junior season at Ohio State building off an excellent sophomore year that he had two seasons ago really kind of like one of the like advanced numbers darlings in college hoops this year but measured at the combine six seven in shoes six five and a half without shoes near seven foot wingspan six eleven uh point seven five it weighed in at 243 pounds. This guy is, you know, a little under six foot six without shoes and weighed at 243, which was probably, I mean, I think that was that he weighed more than both Mark Williams by like a pound and Christian Coloco, uh, you know, another seven foot center by like 20 pounds. Um, so interesting build. He's got a center of gravity. He does. There's no doubt about that. But with, with that center of gravity, super strong player especially with his with his back to the basket offensively i would also say a high motor that you you see that sort of in a lot of different places uh with with lydell but i i would almost say uh, including defensive rebounding will go outside of his zone and into crowds and just rip the ball out of a crowd race race back and transition defense and get almost like what i would describe as chase down rebounds um so again you see the high motor with lydell a lot and he can move for a guy that is yeah you know almost 250 pounds but has that that unique kind of body where again seven foot wingspan um solid strong player and uh, certainly someone that offers defensive versatility a little bit of event creation on defense and shooting so i think the rep with lydell is sort of like uh, a safer prospect um to an extent or, or one with a higher floor the way I kind of think of it with him is if it goes right, like if Lydell sticks, he's the, he's a guy that can be on winning basketball teams can play in postseason games because of the size, the defensive versatility, which we will touch on all of this. And because he has a three point shot that has gotten better and better over three seasons in Columbus with Chris Holtman in the Buckeyes Testament to his work ethic. That's also kind of one of the reasons why he reminds me a little bit, little bit of, uh, of PJ Washington. It's the, it's the like power post player in college that developed a three point shot is rangy, you know, multi-positional defender. So th- there's some, like there's some PJ sort of like, vibes with with Lydell to me at times but before we dig in a little bit more on the specifics of Lydell or if you want to go ahead and jump in on some of that stuff uh Lee I'll I'll pass the baton over to you uh sort of general thoughts on Lydell and if you want to pick a lane um I'm happy to follow yeah um a couple points on 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 Lydell I thought I think it's always interesting now that we have this kind of new uh dynamic where you know we've got players who have tested the waters for the NBA draft in previous years and even gone and played in the combine and then returned to the NCAA for a sophomore or junior season. It's always interesting to see that. I think Lydell like got constructive criticism and feedback and wasn't completely happy with like maybe where his uh, 
projected draft range was after his sophomore year. So he comes back, like you stated earlier, to Columbus for his junior year and just and just had a massive year. You touched and alluded to the three-point shooting kind of like development arc. And I just wanted to give a little more like context and color to that. So his freshman year in Columbus, I mean, barely shot threes, like like was 19% on super, super low volumes, like really wasn't a shooter. His sophomore year, he takes about three a game and shoots 38 or sorry, 33% from three. So like was sort of becoming someone that teams had to, had to look out for as kind of like that stretch four or five for Ohio state, but wasn't exactly shooting at like an incredibly efficient clip. And then he comes back his junior year and I would have to imagine that was part of his feedback was like, you you know, you laid out his profile really well, like undersized uh, kind of hybrid post player, really good defensive rebounder, solid defensive versatility, but kind of kind of needs to be able to stretch the floor, I think, to survive offensively, particularly in the NBA. So his junior year, he shoots almost four threes a game at 37 percent from three. So like he he became a dangerous three point shooter. And, and at times, like being Ohio State's biggest guy on the floor in certain lineups. So, you know, you take all that into consideration. He's a 34% three-point shooter for his college career. But when you see kind of like the tick up year by year in not only volume, but also in percentage, I just think that's really encouraging for him as a prospect. So those were kind of the two things. And then the other last thing I wanted to touch on before we maybe dive a little bit deeper is he also had a massive jump in his uh, kind of rim protection block numbers this year. He became a little bit more sturdy, I think, around the rim as like the anchor of like a good college defense. Now, I don't necessarily expect Lydell to step into the league as like some big time like help rim protector, but I do think it helps his case. And as we've seen, both of our guys, PJ Washington and Miles Bridges for the Hornets, have made strides as rim protectors throughout their career. And although that's not like, I don't think it's going to be Lydell's calling card by any means, with his profile and the way he plays, he does need to be able to like, jump vertically and challenge attacking wings and guards the rim. I do think that'll have to be at least a part of kind of like his offering as a future NBA player. And then the only, and then the other thing is like, you know, comparisons are never the most interesting or great thing, but like it's it is really hard to ignore and not at least mention that kind of the Grant Williams, PJ Tucker ish profile and role for Lydell. And then I think there's also uh, kind of the tale as old of t- tale as old of, as time conversation, but like theoretically, cause you already hit on it. He's got a pretty high floor. I agree with that. I think we're both in agreement there. Like at some point, this guy becomes really good value versus some of the more risky picks in this draft. And like, I've kind of just decided I think he's worth a late first round pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there are going to be several teams that made the playoffs this past year that are drafting in the 20s that are going to uh, agree with you. And, you know, if when uh, EJ falls to that spot, again, he's a guy, it's like, it's not inconceivable to think of him being on the floor a year or two from now, you know, in a, in a, in a playoff game. Again, assuming sort of like the shot. To translate, you talked about the three-point volume. 
um, or just over the three seasons in Columbus. His first year, just three attempts for 100 possessions. Then sophomore year, five and a half. Then this season, over seven three-point attempts per uh, 100 possessions. Uh, about 30% of his total field goal attempts were uh, from the threes. That's that number is going to go up though in the NBA. You know what I mean? It's going to end up being. Next season, it's going to be like 40, 45% of his shots are threes. They'll take more from the corners, that, that type of, that type of stuff as, as he maybe try to fits into this, uh, you know, uh, hybrid forward, you know, role player, the, the PJ Tucker, the, the, uh, the PJ Washington, uh, and the, the Grant Williams sort of mold, a very useful, very useful player. Speaking to that usefulness though, the versatility, uh, guarded all five positions in college, um, could switch out versus ones and twos when Ohio State was in a switch scheme. Um, and I think he does some sort of like heady things in those situations too. It's not just switch out and, and slide. Like I think you can give him a little bit more responsibility. Like this past week I was watching the Niagara game. Niagara has a, had a really good guard the last four seasons named Marcus Hammond, uh, who's actually will be playing for uh, Notre Dame next season. So I've done some film dives on him this offseason – like what I've seen, but Hammond's a big time scorer. He's left-handed. And in the Ohio state Niagara game from November this past season, you could see when Lydell would switch out onto Hammond, uh, he was ready to funnel him to his right hand. And, and so I thought that was like a, a nice little, I don't know, another sort of like feather in the cap for Lydell's a switch defender. Again, you can kind of give him a little bit more responsibility in those, those, those situations when he switches out against, uh, you know, guards that want to create their own shot or create and get downhill. So yeah, just like the scheme versatility, I guess I would say with him in college was impressive because he showed he could play drop. He could play to the level. He could switch. He could trap, you know, he can move his feet 20 plus feet from the basket and, and try to, you know, be active and be disruptive in that regard. You know, he's not going to play drop in the NBA. I mean, I guess we've seen Grant Williams playing some drop for the, for the Celtics uh, against the heat with, with some success in the Eastern conference finals, but like, he's going to be a guy that like, he's out there to, to, to switch, you know, and to, to be that kind of, I think, defender, or, you know, maybe if you want to unlock a little bit of versatility and some small ball lineups, you know, play at the level or whatever. I think he's a, like a sturdy lateral mover, uh, gets in a stance and he just looks like a rock at times when guys try to drive into him, he can absorb contact, multiple instances of contact on the same drive. Someone will, you know, take a dribble left. Lydell will just, you know, they'll just bounce off EJ Lydell. Then they'll try to cross over, change directions, go to the right. He slides laterally to his left and it's another stop. And they've got to then um, pass out of those situations. Um, I don't think he's like a perfect lateral mover. He can still get taken off the bounce. Um, He can still get caught off guard with fake dribble handoffs, like those little DHO keep possessions. That's something I felt like I noticed him um, struggling with at times this year, but overall, like I, I do think his ability to switch around and, and guard different positions is something that's, that's like a big part of the package with Lydell. And again, certainly the wingspan uh, is, is a big help there. I would like to add a couple other things too specific to like event creation with his defense. Like, I don't know what he measured at the combine in terms of vertical, Leap. I don't have that pulled up in front of me, but I thought it like with some of the block numbers that Lee was referring to this season. And yeah, eight eight point two percent block rate 
which was uh, you know a big jump from the previous uh, two seasons, but finishes his career with a six and a half percent block rate at Ohio State. It's pretty solid. Yeah, no, like, Brian, really, that's like pretty impressive. I mean, you know, yeah. the the number this year is just just a tick or two below like some of the more like. Uh, Jalen Duran, honestly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, prominent, like prominent, yeah. big time, crazy athlete. Rim yeah. So I was yeah. did, like digging a little deeper. I got, I was like, wow, that's that's nice. And, and like he can, he like he. It's not like he just like lucks into the mind there. I mean, he can really get up and be explosive to block shots, help side, chase downs in transition, uh, almost like sneak attacks on guys going up for putback finishes, and like some truly like violent blocks this season. And you can see that the quick leap ability when he's going up to block shots or even if he's able to get out in transition, he can like get up and finish a lob too. like, again, the wingspan and his ability to get off the floor, I think is, is not too, not like pretty good, pretty nice combination. Seeing him block a three point attempt this year uh, as well. And I just want to touch on real quickly, like some, one other last note I had about Lydell's pick and roll defense. There are often on his like uh, pick and roll defensive possessions. You'll see Lydell start like, at or a little below the screen. And then when the exchange actually happens, like when the screen takes place, he'll switch up into the ball handler. But when he does that, there's almost this little, like seemingly calculated delay trying to coax a, a pull up three, which he can contest or the downhill drive, you know, cause again, he's, he's not, he's not immediately switching up into the, the ball. handler. there's like a half second or whatever. And he can absorb that downhill drive with his lateral quickness in his strength and like obviously that tactic it's a little scheme dependent there's certain like nba pull-up shooters you can't do it against but again i think it just speaks a little bit to his um to just the scheme versatility and what he's able to do in the switch so lee any other thoughts about lydell's defense the versatility the, the rim protection the switch schemes anything come to your mind no i think the only thing i would add there is like I completely agree that defensive versatility and switchability is is absolutely kind of one of his, you know, feathers in the cap that makes him an interesting NBA prospect. You also kind of uh, uh, mentioned the fact that he's obviously not a, a perfect switch defender by any means. Like there are there are some limitations there, but I do think and this is what you were kind of just saying, like I do think he does make up for some of his limitations by being a pretty cerebral player. Um, Like obviously he's a three-year college player is a little bit older and has played in a lot of big games at Ohio state. So like you would sort of expect that from him, but you know, he can mask some of the um, some of the physical limitations with like the way he reads the floor and kind of his basketball instincts on the defensive end as well. You mentioned the fact that he really does rebound kind of out of area in traffic. That's always an impressive uh, trait that I try and look for. Last two things for me on him. From a Hornets perspective, he's probably like a tweener. And, and, and by that, all I mean is probably not someone that will be considered at 13 or 15 and likely gone by 45, most likely. Like, maybe not, but I would find it hard to believe he would still be there at 45. So, maybe not a guy that the Hornets necessarily get a shot at, but, you know, we've seen draft day trades by this front office in the past, and we've also seen them move up in the second round before to try and kind of target certain prospects. So, like, 
I don't know. I w- I'll say this. I wouldn't be disappointed if the Hornets moved up to try and get a guy like, like Lido who fits in really well with our scheme and, and brings a lot of the qualities that Cupcheck has kind of tried to build out on this roster. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The last thing I'll say, and I'll kind of kick this to you as a question and for your maybe final thoughts before we move on. If you had to kind of steel man it and say, if he doesn't work out, what happens? And is, is would that hinge mostly on the fact that maybe the versatility defensively just doesn't quite translate like we thought it would, and he's not quite as switchy as he needs to be? Is that maybe the one place he could he could get hung up to be end up being like just kind of like a great European type player? Yeah, I think it's that or like the shooting. Because like I think he'll shoot it. But it's going to be like, can he have the kind of transformation as a shooter that Grant Williams had coming into this season, right? Where the, the volume, the, the quick trigger, the, the the slight bits of movement, which he definitely showed at Ohio State. Like, there are some pick and pop shooting games with him where, I mean, he just, it, the, the Iowa game, I think it's like the first 10 minutes of that game. I mean, he's just absolutely on fire um, this season. So I think that, but like, that, that's going to have to translate. It, it can't be like a, He's a complete statue. Teams aren't going to honor the three-point shot when he's like your fourth or fifth option. You know what I mean? Oh, it's like he's got to be able to force rotations and and then make plays off of that. So I think that would be the other thing. Anything else on on Lydell uh, before we move on here? This may be one other note I'd like to make very quickly. That's sort of like off of these his ability to force rotations, but. Uh, Lee, anything else you'd like to add on? on no, no, I'm good okay. there. That was kind of my last big okay. thought. Just trying to think about if he fails, how would he fail? And I think, I think I agree with you. Those are kind of the two places. Yeah, and look, I think he could also improve his handle. Like he has some of the like almost Sadiq Bay style Villanova post up, like in isolation creation elements to his game, where he wants to like pretty pretty quickly put his back into guys and when he's driving and that, that doesn't like speak, I mean, that like that can work, you know what I mean? But 
I think that speaks some to his sort of like his his confidence and just like where the handle is yeah. in general. But I think the shot, quick load, smooth release, uh, maybe a bit of a flat shot, but still pretty good good range off of it. And again, I don't think there's like pure rim pressure with straight line drives, but when he's attacking closeout with some pull-ups, some runners able to show touch. I think the passing from a ball mover's perspective is inter- is like not interesting. It's nothing too special, but it's it's enough to kind of keep the circuits flowing on offense, transition kickouts off a lie dribble, high yeah. low looks. Um, he even had there was one uh, there again it was the the Niagara game this season where like they Ohio State ran middle screen roll. Lydell set the screen for Jamari Wheeler. He rolls as he rolls. Kyle Long, Kyle Young, like lifts up, so it's a little roll replace action. EJ stops his roll to set a down screen for Young. And as soon as he sets the screen, he seals. And so all of a sudden he creates, he's the low man for the high-low action. It's a great seal. Because again, he's very strong. He's wide. And so this forces a double team off the wing. Like the strong side wing, like heads towards Lydell as the ball is like in flight to him in the post. And before he catches it with two hands, it comes down and the double team arrives. He has this just like not really nice one-touch pass in midair with his right hand out to uh, Justice Suing for a three-point attempt, one of the uh, rare games that, that Suing played this year. So I think, like, again, some of the quick decision-making and it is decent, and there's some, like, there's some feel and craft, but, like, you're only going to get it in these situations where there's already been, like, there's been some schemed-up advantage or uh, someone else has already created the advantage and he's just helping sort of build off of it. So with that said, let's move on to our next guy, Let's save Jang for last. Okay, cool. He's a wild, weird one. I'll just all say right. that. All, all right. right. All right. So, yeah, why don't you go ahead and lead us off here on, on Daniels then, and then I'll, I'll, uh, sure. I'll, I'll suit. Yeah, so Dyson Daniels, um, you know, se- second year of uh, the G League Ignite team, obviously, you know, Jalen Green was kind of the massive headline from the G League Ignite team in their, in their first year. In the second year, Dyson Daniels kind of, at least in kind of like some, you know, consensus uh, draft Twitter, draft pontificator uh, hive mind seems to have kind of emerged as the top G League prospect, as far as I can tell at this point. Um, 19 years old, uh, 6'6", 6'7", kind of like rangy, interesting wing uh, for the G League Ignite. He played 30 minutes a game. He averaged 11.6 rebounds, four and a half assists, and almost two steals a game. Um, so I think just to give like a very kind of 20,000 foot view on Daniels before we start talking about him is, you know, he's this interesting prospect because he's a, he's a fantastic wing defensive prospect. That, that really is, I think, where the conversation has to start with Daniels is his ability to guard the ball, his ability to be disruptive, kind of evidenced by some of those steel numbers that we just hit on. He, he can also, like, grab a defensive rebound and start a fast break on his, on his own. He's got a very good sense and feel on how to move the ball and distribute. He is not yet a great shooter. I think that would be putting it mildly. So you kind of start to understand the shell of this prospect. He's a, he's a rangy, smooth, athletic wing that can really guard, that can be disruptive, that can pass, that has offensive uh, IQ, 
but just doesn't really stretch the floor at all at this point in his, in his, in his uh, development. So that's, I think a decent place to start. I'll kick it to you, Brian, for maybe uh, a little bit more of a detailed take or just any other kind of like overview thoughts you think I missed. Yeah. Combine measurements for, for Daniel's uh, height, six, six, uh, six, seven and a half with shoes, which I think both of those may have been, I mean, there are people I think thought he was like six, eight this season. So, right. so maybe that was a little bit lower than expected a wingspan, six, ten and a half, like, you know, I, I guess not anything super special, but still plus wingspan by a couple inches standing reach eight, nine. I actually think like, Overall, people are, you know, Daniels is thought to be a, a pretty good prospect, and you've certainly seen his stock rise he's, yeah, recently. He's a big riser. Yeah, to the point where it seems like, you know, there was maybe once upon a time where you could have conceived of him falling to 13, and now that, that just doesn't seem right. super likely. I don't say, I don't think it's like entirely out of the realm of possibilities. And he is certainly someone to keep an eye on for people who are paying attention to the Hornets. Um, I agree. You know, the perimeter defense is interesting, and it's certainly something that would, that would like, you know, be a nice fit with Charlotte. They, you know, they need, they need someone who could bring some point of attack defense. They need someone that can guard, you know, tougher, uh, bigger perimeter assignments. Um, shows, I think, pretty good lateral quickness on the basketball. And if you mix that in with the wingspan, that's almost six foot 11, you know, maybe you have something. The team defense, I think, is pretty good. Active as an off-ball helper, um, you know, will help and dig for strides when he's one pass away. Will show early help, um, read actions as the low man versus cuts or pick and roll slips or dives to the hoop. I think there's some upside with him as like a backline uh, rim protector and help side rotator. Good positioning. Um, good feel when reading the action and making decisions as the helper. And he can use his length uh, when he's challenging guys at the rim and he'll look to, con- he'll look to contest and block shots. Like he'll, he'll, he'll definitely like uh, stick his body in, into the line of, and, you know, into the line and, and try to make a play. And I think he shows off a, a little bit of like, you know, pretty impressive ground coverage when those rim protection opportunities come early in the possession or early in the action so I think defensively, like there's a lot of reasons to feel pretty good about him. Maybe not like super excited, which I do think speaks to sort of like this draft as a whole and like where this draft is in terms of, of, of like wing defenders. Now on the pod last week, Lee, you and I spoke pretty glowingly about someone that we both like quite a bit. And that's Jeremy Sohan out of, out of Baylor, who I think has really established himself as like, as far as lotto prospects go, like the premier defender, both as like a, a, a you know, guy that can guard big wings away from the basketball and what he gives you in terms of his active help defense. So to just, to just draw this sort of narrowly, Lee, how do you think Dyson Daniels compares defensively with the defense of Jeremy Sohan? It's so funny because like, you, I mean, doing these past two episodes, you can't watch Dyson Daniels film without like drawing the comparisons and, and the, the the contrast in your head. Like they're just fr- from a from just like a sheer general prospect profile standpoint, they're so similar. Like everything I just laid out is the high level view of like pretty special like forward projection defensive prospect. 
has has a solid like solid ball skills can pass a little bit um and then just like can't shoot <laughs> you know it's like very much jeremy so happy. Yeah. i think i think i see more unique lateral on ball like sliding laterally stuff with daniels like he's really impressive when He's being attacked off the dribble in the G League and the way he just stays in front of guys. Like there is really something there that pops off on screen to me when I watch film with him. Um, Sohan is really solid there in his own right. I just think Sohan brings so much other stuff on the defensive end with the with his ability to really guard up a lineup. Like Daniels can do it a little bit, but Dyson Daniels isn't guarding David McCormick. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right, and Sohan right, right. is and did. Um, so I think Sohan guards up the lineup a whole lot more. Sohan lets you, I think, get away against certain lineups with him at the five, whereas Daniels is just a much different type of player. And I think Sohan is probably going to be a more effective kind of help side rim protector, kind of a disruptive roamer, that type of stuff. Um, so I, and, and I actually tweeted this the other day and I, I can't give you an evidence-based to statistical, uh, case for this opinion. It's just an opinion <laughs> But like, for whatever reason, because neither one of them has very much, uh, to hang their hat on in this department. I'm just more bullish on Sohan shooting. And, and, and I don't know particularly exactly why, besides the fact that it just, it hits my eyes a little better for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, for sure. And maybe neither one of them will ever shoot it, but I just am a little more bullish on Sohan eventually becoming like at least a passable catch and shoot guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think I would agree with that in part because that's just like what I would want to see. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the other part. I, yeah. I'm pulling yeah. Sohan. I, I, I do think like guys like uh, Daniels and Jang like made improvements as the season went along and, and Jang really, really came on late in the season mm-hmm. uh, down in the NBL. We'll talk about him in a second, but Daniels, you know, he shot above 40% over the last month of the season from deep, not a ton of a volume, but that stuff is like a little interesting because with those shooting improvements and with his like good, not great size, you know, like he could probably play a wing secondary role, you know, shoot, drive, help build the advantage chain. It's like, like I saw Daniels play last summer at the U19 FIBA World Cup for Australia. And like some of the creation flashes were really, really impressive in that. And at the time it seemed like, Daniels was maybe going to be like a, a a one or like a combo guard kind of. And now it seems like he can, he can, you can maybe move him around a little bit more. Like there's a little bit more two way versatility just because he's gotten bigger. And uh, there are some reasons to maybe be optimistic uh, about the shot. Now there were still times this season for the ignite where he did work as a primary ball handler um, amidst, uh, you know, a fairly uh, crowded backcourt and like, you know, wing guard rotation. I really like him when he can get into the floater and runner zone. He passes well from that area too. Not a flashy passer by any stretch, but like, again, I do think he's like, he's solid there passing um, off a live dribble. And for, yeah, like a six, seven wing who could pass, like that's pretty interesting. But I just think he does a nice job getting into the paint, pivoting around, looking for cutters. Like 
pretty, pretty patient and cerebral and some of those sort of like attack zones and traffic, um, nice touch on, on, on the floaters and on the, on the shot touch, uh, mm-hmm. good size to shoot over guys. Um, you know, has the shot fake and a couple other, other tricks in his back, very willing to create contact. And late in the season, I felt like for the ignite, he started to like maybe make some strides. It's just like a, a, a sh- like in terms of like space creation and shot creation, you know, behind the back, step back threes, um, downhill slashes and early offense and, or a transition hang dribble again, changing direction uh, with behind the back um, into a gather and finish. So there, there's maybe a little more there. Again, I thought he looked pretty good attacking closeouts, but again, a lot of that's going to be contingent on the shot uh, continuing to improve, even showed a willingness to take off dribble threes if in the pick and roll if a defender went underneath the screen. Uh, but I do think smaller point of attack or on-ball defenders can get into his shirt a little bit. And at times, like the handle, I'm not sure if it's there in tight spaces or versus a lot of, a lot of ball pressure. So I don't know that that's something else to probably, I, I think, keep an eye on. Again, I think there's some interesting he, the things he does as a driver and as a finisher, the Euro step, the finishing touch the hang dribbles. So anyways, I, I think there's something there, but uh, it, it's just, it's going to need, a, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's going to certainly need a, a little bit of, of work. So yeah, Lee. Anything, anything you'd like to mention here on, on Dyson Daniels? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I, I actually, I hold the opinion that you're kind of like he's a developmental prospect. Like this is, yeah. at least in my opinion, like th- this is not a guy. And look, I, I've been wrong before, but like I, I don't think this is a prospect that is gonna that is gonna come to a team next year and like impact winning. Um, and that doesn't mean that he isn't a very valuable asset. It just means that he's going to have to be kind of brought along because, you know, when you're, when you're calling card as a 19 year old rookie is your kind of like defensive versatility and, and disruptiveness. It's like, you have to be really special at that attribute to, for it, for it truly to shine through when you're a young player, you know, like a, like a recent example of that would be a guy like Herb Jones, who, who was, obviously an older prospect, but like made a defensive impact at day one in the NBA. That's really, really hard to do. So the point I'm making is if Daniel's best quality as a young player is his kind of like uh, defensive prowess, I, I'm not sure that that is a recipe for him being like an effective NBA player until maybe two or three or four years down the road. And obviously the shooting makes me really nervous it, it did come on though. Like you, you do have to pay attention to kind of the fact that late in the season, he shot it better. I mean, he took, you know, he's 30, th- 13 for 51 from three on the year. So it was like low volume, not great percentages. He did shoot 73% from the line, but that was only on 19 attempts. So I don't know how much we can really take away from that. Besides the fact that he didn't get to the line a ton, although they did, they do do the thing in the G league where they shoot one for two. So yeah, it, would, it would be a, a bit higher. I do really love the passing. Like he's, he's an instinctual ball mover. He's a connector. Uh, he, he kind of like makes little, you know, when he gets in the lane and he does create some advantage, he does a nice job of, you know, dumping it down to the dunker spot or kicking it out to guys who are open. He's a pretty good and willing passer in transition. I think where I just come down on Daniels is 
like for me personally, I don't think he's going to end up being in the lottery on like my personal draft board. He very likely will go in the lottery. And it's not that I don't think he's an impressive prospect. Like there are some things I really like about him. It's more a factor of, I just can't get to a place mentally where I would be comfortable selecting this guy over Sohan or Griffin or Matherin or Davis. And it's just, and even there's even some other guards that I could throw in there, honestly, like in the mix. Totally. Totally. So that's more where I get hung up on Daniels than it is about, uh, about anything about his game. Other than the fact that if he doesn't eventually space the floor, I don't know if there's like a, 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 a consistent spot for him in a good team rotation. You know what I'm saying? No, completely agree. Like his archetype or probably the one he's best suited for is like to be like a connector wing right now. Yeah. But it's like, that is contingent on him shooting. Yeah. Certainly agree that there's room for growth. Maybe he gets, maybe, you know, maybe he really does become someone who, who can defend a couple positions and do so at a pretty high level. Maybe not, you know, be like a pure stopper, but, but, you know, at least on the, on a night to night basis, be a team's, you know, top perimeter defender. We'll, you know, we'll see about that. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I wouldn't take this guy over. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, so on. Like I like all of those guys more. That's where we're at with Dyson Janos. All right, let's move on to the last guy. Usman Jang, the Frenchman who spent this season playing for the New Zealand breakers down in the end uh, the NBL, which has been a certainly a league to like really keep an eye on the last couple of Absolutely. years, just with Lamelo, with RJ Hampton, with Josh Giddy, with now with Jang and Hugo Basan, uh, with the with the Breakers this season. So it's been it, this was a fun team to, to scout this year. But um, Jang showed up on my radar about two years ago. I actually pulled up when I was getting ready for this. I pulled up a story that I wrote in June 2020 for ACCSports.com when uh, Duke actually reached out to him. Um, Interesting. and, uh, there were a variety of division one teams around the time, Arizona, Washington state, Oregon state, wake forest that were in on him. Memphis, I think he even offered him a scholarship, but yeah, Duke wanted to, you know, Duke was, I don't know if Duke ever offered him, but there was a chance that he was going to maybe going to be in this class with, uh, you know, with Paolo Bancaro and AJ Griffin. But at the time, it's just funny to go back and look at it. Like they were still courting Kennedy Chandler and, Mm. Uh, Max Christie and Patrick Baldwin, all those guys ended up going elsewhere. But I think kind of made a name for himself 2019 at the FIBA U19 Euro Championship. Uh, France finished second place. Uh, Jang averaged nine points, three and a half assists, three boards. Um, at that event, he played with uh, uh, you know Victor Webinyama, who is going to be the number one pick in the 2023 draft. Um, I think the big thing for him, or something that everyone's going to talk about, with Jang is just like a, the body, like the, the frame that he has, he is, um, it's the length, you know, not as skinny as he used to be still pretty skinny, but just, yeah, has one of those sort of like frames that's made for playing basketball in terms of the length, how quick and easy he moves. Um, and then the next thing will be just like how much better he was after a rough start in New Zealand, like how much better he was the last, you know, two months, two and a half months of the season, and, and that included like a higher degree of comfort handling and playing with the basketball. And, and that's actually where I'd like to start, if you don't mind, Lee, which is yeah. talking about um, some of the, the, the on-ball creation, pick-and-roll creation 
I like the downhill drive and the body control on finishes. Again, he's obviously pretty skinny. The physicality isn't quite there uh, consistently, but he will try to use his body to mm-hmm. create and dish out contact and then look to finish off that separation. So like he's got some of, I think the, men- the mentality is there. It's just, he's going to have to get, to get stronger, but he can mix and change speeds going in and out of handoff moves. I think his like deceleration, his change of speeds is pretty darn good for, for a player of his, you know, I guess six, nine, you see some reports of him at six ten, but I feel like again, there there's no, I don't think he measured at the combine. So we don't have like an official one to go off of, but he'll use hesitation handles or hang dribbles to create bits of advantage in a, in a flash, he'll also bust out some some like I guess kind of like uh, like almost like flashier live dribble moves, you know, behind the back move to separation and trans to separate in transition. Definitely has some like combination isolation for sure. Where it's for not sure. like one yeah. cross and go. It's like no. multiple deceptions. Yeah, he uh, he's even got the sort of like loopy wide crossover with mm-hmm. his which with his wingspan is kind of nasty. I posted a clip from. The, the game versus Cairns, uh, mm-hmm. he had two of those. Uh, we played very well in two games versus them in, in March and April this year. But one of the games that I watched yesterday, I mean, it's like he catches it, left crossover, right crossover, boom, downhill. So, yeah, again, there, there are the combination moves. He even shows off to a little bit more craft with, like, fake handoffs. So he's just got some deception uh, that allows him to, to, to kind of, like, get downhill and, I, and again, I think the the hang dribbles, the hesitation moves also help open up the passing reads or even turn into some like late in the season. He was using some stuff to get into like, you know, off dribble sidestep three point attempts. So like he was doing some pretty cool yeah. stuff with the basketball and overall having to handle for an 18 year old, you know, six, nine forward. That's just getting better and better is interesting. The shooting touch on runners is nice, capable of finishing um, in that little short mid range area. And he has the, with that length, he has the extension to shoot over the top of some of those matchups and just get off the floor and quickly, you know, just bomb it in there. Um, I do think there are times for him where it's like, it's a bit of a crutch, almost, almost like, a, you know, not trying to draw like a, a pure comparison, but we see this with Lomelo a little bit, right. Mm-hmm. Where uh, if he gets an angle against, you know, he's attacking drop coverage or, or he's attacking a closeout. There's an angle to the hoop. We'll still see Lomelo, uh, want to get to his like runner, you know, and he's obviously it's a great shot for LaMelo, but sometimes you'd like to see him just, just say F it right. And just, and just barrel to the rim. Um, I think there's sometimes there's sometimes when I'm watching Jang, I get that feeling of just like, you know, either he settles for a runner or there was even a, a game that I watched of him this week where like, he's attacking drop coverage and he literally like a step outside the restricted area. It comes to a two foot stop and then goes up and scores, but it just looked, it looks so awkward. Like, uh, where again, you'd like to, you know, the progression with him, you'd like for him to eventually try to like dunk on the guy. Once you get the guy in drop coverage pinned into the restricted area, it's like, yeah, punish them for, yep. for doing that as opposed to kind of like letting them off the hook and taking a tougher shot that needs to be. It's great that you made it, but, uh, you can maybe eat a little bit more, off of that. So I actually want, there's some stuff I'd like to, to mix in talking a little bit more about his, where his offense is at, but Lee, uh, your first impressions on, on Jang, and we can kind of keep it rolling uh, for a few more minutes talking about his offense and then maybe flip over to, to where he's at defensively right now. Yeah. So 
Man, I mean, so I, I have to mention this, and I almost do every single time. Um, but it's always so. And I was telling this to Richie prior to the pot. It's always so fun to see the to see the throwback NCAA names on these Australian teams. I mean, I think I watched three of so uh, good, dude. So much fun, like, underrated, fun thing every time you, like, you get into one of these games. His, uh, you know, his point guard is Peyton Siva, which is just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think I think I watched three games, and two of the names that I loved were Scotty Machado. Yes, and- amazing. Yes, I saw the Machado game too. And then Bryce Cotton, who's like a star in the NBL, um, yeah, and plays on Perth, which is one of the better teams in the NBL. Um, I, I caught a um, a Dusty Hannah's there uh, matchup. You know, former uh, Arkansas, and I think I think he was Texas. at Texas Tech too. Yeah. But yeah, saw a little Dusty Hannah's down there in the uh the nbl yeah it's 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 so good for that like oh. an underrated fun aspect of it oh i saw a fair amount of uh jan wetzel too Jan who wetzel. like is, is a guy that i saw a ton of doing like malachi floyd scouting uh, two seasons ago with san diego state <laughs> it's the best i, I yeah. have to always bring it up so um so what i will tell you is watching jang I would get so down on him watching these games because as you just said, it's a perfect transition. Like he is so awkward at times and he does like he would make three or four plays, whether it would be like catching the ball and trying to attack a closeout and traveling or driving into the lane and getting kind of bodied up and just like losing the ball or getting just completely lost rotationally, defensively, things like, so like I would see like three or four things and I'd just be like, Oh my God, like this kid just has no idea what he's doing. And then he would make one of these, as we were losing, he'd make one of these dribble combination isolation moves where he just absolutely fools and leaves a defender in the dust and then makes like a, like a crafty, like touch floater off the glass. And I'm just like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Experience watching this guy. Like, so, so, so he would keep, what I'm trying to say is like, he keep pulling me back in. I'd be like, this guy's a lost cause. And then he'd make one of these plays. He had this one play where he, he kind of made like a dribble isolation move, fed the ball to a post player, uh, at the elbow and then just kept cutting and made like this really impressive, like fluid give and go play into an and one like left-handed finish. And, and, and then again, like a couple like this of the step back isolation threes that you alluded to. I mean, so, so what I, I'm, I've been, it's been tough fingering this guy out because he makes so many plays that just look, like he doesn't even belong on a basketball floor because he is so big and lanky and awkward and he's 19 and he's still trying to figure it out. The other thing he does really well is he is kind of a, a solid pick and roll operator. Like he does a good job of setting his defender up. He does a good job of using the screen. He does a good job of getting downhill. I wouldn't say he's great in the pick and roll at creating for others yet, but he is pretty good in the pick and roll about getting into the lane and creating like pretty high probability kind of shots for himself. Um, so I really like that. That's super interesting. He does have some touch around the rim. We already kind of hit on the handle, which is probably if, if you're forward projecting Jang, it's 
like you probably lead with the handle. He's got some really nice stuff at his size. Agreed. Um, the shooting splits are bad. 39, 27, 66, 26 for 96 from three on the year. But as Brian said, he came on late. He doesn't do much for me as a playmaker for others really at all yet. Just, you know, had an assist a game, had a little bit of a negative assist to turnover ratio. But he's, you know, again, he's a 19 year old in a in a good professional league. Nine points, four rebounds. He's just a massive, massive project. He's a he's a guy that you're drafting and you have to trust your development staff. You have to trust kind of his ability to, to really want to, like, take this arduous journey, this uphill journey that he's going to have to become like a productive wing scorer in the NBA. But the flashers are certainly there. Again, I, I kind of get back to Jang on, you know, there's just so many other like productive players I feel like I can take. Uh, but, you know, if you do have the luxury of being a GM and a team uh, that doesn't necessarily need success right away, that's okay with putting another kind of super interesting prospect in your pipeline, like that makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, it's just the push and pull of of the experience of watching him on film is I, I think I'm like mentally exhausted from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He like, um, like, I don't think Toronto has a first round pick this year. Uh, yeah. In fact, they don't, it's, it's out the door to uh, San Antonio pick 20, but yeah, it's like if you have a, a player development staff and the, you're a, you know, president of ops or GM that has some, uh, some job security and some runway to work with. And yeah, he's an interesting guy because he's a wing that can really do a lot of stuff with the basketball. Um, I thought late in the season, again, showing more and more confidence, stepping into jump shots off relocation, off movement, the occasional off dribble shot from, from deep. I think I agree with you as far as like um, the, the pick and roll creation goes. I think there are some interesting moments where you see the processing come to the t- middle of the floor as like a, a passer. And it's actually like, there's some, there again, it's just flashes, but I like some of the stuff you see um, his ability with his size, he can scan over the top of a defense off a live dribble read and he can kick out or skip. Um, if there, he, if he was faced with the, like the occasional random trap or double team, his ability to sort of like, again, see that happening before the second defender gets to him. And then, when his teammate cuts or slips out, just a quick decision making get to them, it gets them the ball in space. So some stuff like that, I actually think is is pretty pretty impressive. I like his patience with two man empty side actions, not in a hurry to just jack up a three or drive the basketball into traffic. You know, he'll make the defenders guard, show their coverage, then make a move, uh, show the ability and the patience to sort of like string out ball handling opportunities in the pick and roll when a trap or a double comes his way again. Dribble, take a couple dribbles to the side or a couple dribbles back, then make a read. Um, we'll look to attack a switch, drive gaps or get to his rhythm, pull up three. Um, saw him do that versus Kai Soto uh, in the game against uh, the 36ers, which I, which I watched this week. Um, he actually like kind of went at Soto a little bit in that game, which was, which was fun. So I think all of that stuff is pretty interesting. And I think the breakers did like a cool job finding some ways to feature him. Like, uh, you would use him as like the a secondary guy in pistol action or chase pick and roll. And again, he's a guy you can just see, like I can just see him being a guy that can like create as the second side guy off of handoffs. You know, you run one pick and roll. It's not there. You swing it to the other side. 
Um, oh, and it's Miles, it's Miles Bridges flowing oh. into a dribble handoff with Jang, and Jang's all of a sudden getting downhill, and, and boom, now now you've got something versus defense that's still, still sort of like rotating around a little bit. So I, I just see him as a guy like that or someone that when you come out in those like five-out open or delay sets, you can stash him in the corner and then run him off pin down into the handoff action and, and try to let him get downhill or make reads off of that. Again, they gave him some primary on-ball duties late in the season, um, which, like, it's cool that he got those reps. I, you know, I don't think that's really going to be him at the next level. But as far as, like, a secondary creator, some guy that can give, be another ball handler on the court, I think that's perhaps poss- a possibility for him. And, again, it's good that he got those reps. So lots of room for growth. I know we gotta we got to wrap up here, but we'll just touch – one thing I do want to touch on him defensively, and, and then, again, because we're running out of time here, we gotta we got to run. But – I like the quick rotations, take away the roller, uh, pick up the switch when needed. You see the defensive processing when he's like the low man in backside help situations. Um, I kind of think like he's, his ability and willingness to come out of the corner uh, if there's spread pick and roll action and there's a dive or slip man going to the rim, like he'll make the rotation and he'll look to make a play at the hoop to like get a block. I actually think like his, his reads as like a low man – uh, weak side defender against pick and roll coverages are pretty good. Still has a lot of the same sort of like mistakes you see with a lot of wing defenders, but yeah, showed an impact digging down um, off the perimeter against post-ups. And I, and I do think there were some really nice flashes with him helping at the rim as like the last line of defense this season, which is pretty good to see those kinds of reads coming against good competition from a young player that's still developing and getting a lot better. So Lee, uh, I know again, we're, we're pretty much running out of time here, but any last thoughts on uh, Jane before we close it out here today? No, I, I think, I think you, you laid out kind of the, the defensive status for him at the moment. Like obviously like any kind of a, uh, offensively inclined super young wing um, there, there are some issues there, but it's really hard to game out. I mean, you, you like the length and some of the athleticism. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost an impossible job to try and game out what he'll look like as a defensive player in four to five years. There's just, there's just no way to know, I think, but he, you know, I, I think I'm probably slightly lower on him than consensus, but like, maybe one of the most fascinating watches in this entire class. So like I had a blast with him either way. Yeah. And super, uh, yeah, super know. fun watch, super fun watch. It was the third year in a row that one of the players, one of the prospects in, in the NBL has like offensively like made me like cock my head while watching his film, <laughs> yeah. which was LaMelo two years ago and, and Josh Giddy this past season, which uh, is interesting. And again, maybe like it speaks to maybe the pathways are a little more narrow, but if he can get to sort of those like high end, development outcomes like again he could be a guy that that helps you know drive and create offense for for a team in the half court thank you guys for listening in today we appreciate uh all those who check this out live or listening to this on spotify or apple or any other podcast feed please make sure uh to rate and review if you haven't done that we really appreciate that it boosts our confidence and it's good for the algorithm uh, Lee doesn't know this, but when he joined BuzzBeat, he's contractually obligated to give Richie a quarter for every five-star review we get. So we we want we want to drain Lee's bank account and have and have Richie's. Yes, right. Exactly. So uh, again, keep an eye out. We got a lot more draft content coming the next four weeks. I do think the focus is going to be coming up on guys like like Wesley, Malachi Branham, Terquavion Smith, and Ty Ty Washington. Um, Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. Go Hornets.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.